Hi, welcome to the Bushwick Book Club podcast, the podcast featuring songs about books from the Bushwick Book Club shows we produce here in Brooklyn. For this episode, you're getting the new original songs recorded live from our June 2018 show at Park Slope Cultural Mecca Barbez, where it's almost impossible not to have some kind of moving, revelatory, fun and cathartic enjoyment of live performance of really eclectic music from huge talent from all over the world, talent that's all curated by Barbez owner Olivier Conan. All the songs were inspired by Taya Obrecht's beautiful, much-loved novel, The Tiger's Wife. It's language that stays with you, and it it engaged my imagination in a way that allowed the story to get in. I mean, deeper than I let most things. I mean, you know, um, hello, uh, intimacy issues. This book got right past my intimacy issues. That's really good writing. It really engaged my imagination to do so. So thanks, Taya, for finding that imagination I thought I left in a cab somewhere. And thanks for all the great songs that sprang from everyone's imagination engaging with this story. You'll hear new original songs from Brooklyn songwriters such as Jesse Kilgis, who has her own full band and also co-produces many of the Bushwick Book Club events. There's Elia Bisker, who is also known as Sweet Soubrette and is also one half of macabre musical duo Charming Disaster. You'll hear from Charlie Neeland, who is the technical director of Bushwick Book Club and also one half of literary musical duo Lusterlit. I hear they're, um, I hear that they're socially awkward and that they chew with their mouths open. Don Ralph, who also fronts New York City band Life in a Blender. Aurel Pilo, who is an award-winning Brooklyn indie pop folk artist. And we even have the Dust Engineers. It's always great to include a full band in the lineup. And in this case, members Zachary Myers and Jared Harrell are old friends of Taya's, so it was extra special to have them there. And uh, right, I, I, I also wrote a song. You'll hear from me, Susan Huang. I'm the other half of Lester Lit, and for my song, I'm backed up by the dream team of Marlon Cherry on percussion and Storm Garner on violin. In addition to the songs, you'll hear ec- excerpts from a few of the songwriters on their Bushwick Book Club processes and from the author herself. Here she is, Taya Obrett, reading from the first chapter of The Tiger's Wife. Enjoy! Hi, welcome to Bushwick Book Club. Let us begin. Oh my goodness. It's like the the best time is, you know, is time spent sharing songs about books and other literature inspired creative things. And um, tonight we're celebrating The Tiger's Wife by Taya Obrecht. And she's right here. She's, we're going to start off with, with a reading from her, and then we're going to hear several songs about, inspired by, in response to this amazing novel that we've all had the pleasure of sitting with and um, absorbing for the past month or so. And some have absorbed it more in the past uh, 48 hours, even, you know, than the whole month. But we have a new thing inspired by the book. We're very excited to share it with you. These are brand new brand new pieces, brand new creative work, and so it's a very special thing, you know, so we're really nice, we have to be really nice and kind, you know, and like encouraging of the new songs, or they just crawl right back up the song hole, like I always say, so we want to be really encouraging for them. So thanks very much for being here, and please welcome Taya Obrecht. Let's pretend I just materialized on this stage and didn't, didn't do that awkward, awkward climbing up here. Um, yeah, it's very book club. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is like an incredible honor. Um, there's, there's no way for me to overstate what a thrill this is and how much I've been looking forward to this. Um, 
Thank you all so much for coming and for reading the book and for engaging with it in this in this remarkable way. I, I don't think that there's anything that could possibly be more meaningful to an, an artist of, of any kind than to have other artists engage with the work in their own medium. So this is just incredible for me. And when I was asked to do this, I was like, Yes, like who would say no? Um, uh, you guys are all amazing. Uh, I've heard many of you before. I was at the Jonathan Ames celebration and was just blown away by what you produced. And so I'm humbled, humbled, humbled to be here. Um, uh, Songhole is a word I just learned, and I'm 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 pleased to know it. I feel like I will be using it in the next week in in my everyday uh, speech. So I'm just going to read really quickly from the beginning of, of the book, um, just to get things going. It feels like, like a beginning feels like a good place to start. <laughs> I'm sorry, I feel like that kid who's on stage is like, hi, hey, mom! Um, <laughs> so it, it, feels like a, it feels like a really good uh, place to start. We are all introduced to uh, the characters and the storyline in, in, in the same way, all of us together. And I've been finishing up line edits on my new novel, which is coming out next August. Um, <laughs> Um, so I've been thinking a lot about beginnings and, and sort of the, the scaffolding that we, that a storyteller builds for themselves to get themselves into the story versus the scaffolding that they, that they build to bring, bring a reader or an audience member into the story. It's, it's often quite different. But for this book, it was the same, uh, which uh, happened for the first and I suspect only time in my writing life. So uh, this is the beginning of The Tiger's Wife. In my earliest memory, my grandfather is bald as a stone, and he takes me to see the tigers. He puts on his hat, his big buttoned raincoat, and I wear my lacquered shoes and velvet dress. It's autumn, and I am four years old. There's certainty in this process, my grandfather's hand, the bright hiss of the trolley, the dampness of the morning, the crowded walk up the hill to the Citadel Park. Always in my grandfather's breast pocket, the jungle book with its gold leaf cover and old yellow pages. I am not allowed to hold it, but it will stay open on his knee all afternoon while he recites the passages to me. Even though my grandfather is not wearing his stethoscope or white coat, the lady at the ticket counter in the entrance shed calls him doctor. Then there's the popcorn cart, the umbrella stand, a small kiosk with postcards and pictures. Down the stairs and past the aviary where the sharp-eared owls sleep through the garden that runs the length of the citadel wall framed with cages. Once there was a king here, a sultan, his janissaries. Now the cannon windows facing the street hold blocked-off troughs filled with tepid water. The cage bars curved out, rusted, orange. In his free hand, my grandfather is carrying the blue bag my grandma has prepared for us, and in it are six-day-old cabbage heads for the hippopotamus, carrots and celery for the sheep and deer, and the bull moose, who's kind of a phenomenon. In his pocket, my grandfather has hidden some sugar cubes for the pony that pulls the park carriage. I will not remember this in sentimentality, but his greatness. The tigers live in the outer moat of the fortress. We climb the castle stairs, past the water birds and the sweating windows of the monkey house, past the wolf growing his winter coat. We pass the bearded vultures and then the bears asleep all day, smelling of damp earth and the death of something. My grandfather picks me up and props my feet against the handrail so I can look down and see the tigers in the moat. My grandfather never refers to the tiger's wife by name. His arm is around me and my feet are on the handrail and my grandfather might say, I once knew a girl who loved tigers so much she almost became one herself. 
because I'm little, and my love of tigers comes directly from him, I believe he's talking about me, offering me a fairy tale in which I can imagine myself and will for years. The cages face a courtyard, and we go down the stairs and walk slowly from cage to cage. There's a panther, too, ghost spots paling his oil-slick coat, a sleepy, bloated lion from Africa. But the tigers are awake and livid, bright with rancor. Stripe-lashed shoulders rolling, they flank one another up and down the narrow causeway of rock, and the smell of them is sour and warm and fills everything. It will stay with me the whole day, even after I've had my bath and gone to bed, and will return at random times, at school, at a friend's birthday party, even years later at the pathology lab or on the drive home from Galena. Wash the bones, bring the body, leave the heart behind. Wash the bones, leave the body, leave the heart behind. Trail the elephant at moonlight, while the ancient city slept. Some stories you don't share, my love, they are secrets to be kept. Wash the bones, bring the body, leave the heart behind.
Jagger for this show. That was Jesse Kilgus with her song Secret Rivers. This is Jesse Kilgus. My favorite thing about this book club was rereading The Tiger's Wife. I read it a few years ago and fell in love with it and had underlined things then that still really piqued my interest and worked their ways into my song. How's that coming through, Charlie? Here is Elia Bisker with her song, Leave the Heart Behind. So as I mentioned, I've been at this a long time and there are a lot of different ways to approach writing a song about a book, probably as many ways as there are to write the book in the first case. Some people like to take a detail and kind of braid it with a thing from their own lives and kind of make a new hybrid thing out of that. And oh, there's, there's all kinds of ways to, but the approach that I like the best I've learned over the years is, is a kind of synthesis approach, a kind of bird's eye view, taking, I go through the book like a magpie, picking out the things that flash and wink, and I collect them all, and then I, I see what I've got, and I assemble them into something. And often, the thing that I end up with says something about the book, and sometimes it just says something else. But it was hard to do that with this book, because this book itself kind of operates in that way. There are these multiple strands arcing through it, and they they knit together at different places. And so when I got to the end of my note-taking and saw all the things that I had, I knew that there was much more than I could actually put into a song, which is one of the other things that's nice about a thing like the Bushwick Book Club, because you know that if you just couldn't manage to shoehorn the fucking tiger into your song, <laughs> somebody will. Somebody will. The, the burden is lighter. The, the pressure is lifted. And so... Although the tiger is not in my song, I think that the tiger is there at the end, kind of peeking through. Uh, like Jesse, I read this book a long time ago and uh, loved it then, but it was a real treat to come back to it. Because the, another thing about the Bushwick Book Club is that it has made me a better reader when you're going into a book not as a tourist, but as a participant. It is a very different experience. So I was, I was grateful for the the beauty of the prose as tools and not just as pretty things. Um, and it's interesting how many of us pick the same things, the same magpie flashes. I mean, it must be interesting for you, Taya, to hear everybody's coffee cup songs and <laughs> Deathless Man songs, and this is going to be another one of those. <laughs> Death is just a patient man who waits for 40 days to pass and to gather up the souls that stand at crossroads in the fields of grass. Look inside his coffee cup, the lives of people come and go, their journeys traced in coffee grid porcelain that's rimmed in gold so wash the bones bring the body leave the heart behind when you are gone will someone long for you and call your name leave a coin in the ashes 
take you home. Listen, you must understand, you keep some moments to yourself. Dreams for you and me alone, protected from the elements. Think about the time we spent, the evening in that doomed hotel. Dinner was magnificent, and coffee was a miracle. So wash the bones. Bring the body, leave the heart behind When you are gone, will someone long for you and call your name? Leave a coin in the ashes, will he come for you and take you home? Can you hear the jars and bottles singing? A brim with coins of offering. Fire lit and flickering. Beloved, lost oblivion. Later when the war is done, we'll see each other once again. Though we all know what's to come, we fight it to the bitter end. But even if you break the cup, none of us will live forever. Better just to drink it up. This coffee's made with holy water. So wash the bones, bring the body, leave the heart behind. When you are gone, who will long for you and call your name? Leave a coin in the ashes, will it come for you and take you? take you home and take you home This is Susan Wong. Here's my song Deathless. Marlon Cherry is on percussion. Storm Garner is on violin. Sometimes it's uh, difficult to focus on a book, right? Just because, like, you know, you're doing a lot of things and maybe, like, you're worried if the cat's going to like the new cat litter and will it stop peeing on the couch and maybe your roommate has Asperger's or something. And, and you're like, what, you know, what does that mean for my existence and, um, and uh, for, you know, how my house smells and everything. And then you're just like, how can I concentrate on this book? And every time you go to read it, you just like all these thoughts go through your head. It's sort of like meditating, right? When you're trying to meditate, you can't meditate because you're just blah, 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 blah. And then, but then once you're in the rhythm of the book and then once you're in it, then it's just like, oh, then it's like also like meditating where it's like, then you like open up into this into this world, 
and then and you really like being there and uh, and one thing that I would do to get into that state quicker was I would read the words aloud to myself and what I found was that it was really great to have these words in my mouth and and I love the dialogue and especially that scene with um, the deathless man and and the doctor uh, eating that amazing meal and it was great because they, they were talking about the food and you think about the food in your mouth and then these words are in my mouth and of all the things that have been in my mouth and there have been quite a few I, I really enjoyed these words so thank you so much and not only that but like you know and the, the world that it created I was like oh that's what a really good book does you know it like now I feel like there's like and, and because of the way the the reader has to create the world with the book, it's sort of like you know you do it together, you know, because yeah, I don't know, I don't that weird magic thing that happens with the. Anyway, n- now it's like I have a place inside me that is the tiger's wife, and I'm like I'm glad it's there. So thank you. <laughs> so it's a lot better than a lot of other places I tell you inside. But this one, it goes like this. Dead not knowing where to go The sick not knowing what to try The one man knowing holds the cup That if you're lucky you'll break tonight The dead not knowing where to go The sick not knowing if they will die The one man knowing the cup that holds The gift of knowing if it's your time
Almost like improv. <laughs> song is called Some Things You Keep to Yourself. I ended up being inspired by the, uh, the section of the book with the, the, the mora. I just loved how, I mean, there's so many different times in the book where it starts off as something that's like exposition or plot or something's happening in the story. And then all of a sudden she's ducking under mines and then it's just a, a dark forest. The language is just so rich and then, and then it just turns into a dream. And you're really not sure whether this is the mora or not. And he establishes that he's kind of compensating for the lack of belief in the rest of the, uh, the town. I don't know, there's just so many parts of the book that, that got woven in. And the idea of a zoo is like an amazing thing, that it's this, this, it's this spot of 
where we relate to our animal nature in the middle of this really contrived human society. And there's something really like horrifying about that that really comes out in this. To me, it connected with how this place is in a, a state of constant war for you know hundreds of years, I guess. And the fact that we're disconnected from the animal part of ourselves, I think, has something to do with that. I tried to work that all in. And... <laughs> Where we hide when love is calling The things we make when bombs are falling What we admit when we turn the lights on No time to lie
Hi, my name is Arel Pilo. I wrote The Man Who Cannot Die. And this was my very first time being a part of the book club of Bushwick. And my favorite part was the spirit of collaboration between everybody. And especially since we were all enthralled by the character, the deathless man, seeing the similarities in the subject between the songs, but the difference in the approaches to songwriting. This is my version of the song is called The Man Who Cannot Die. But um, before I start, I'm really parched. Does anybody have some water? Oh! <laughs> Just trying to get in character. <laughs>
deathless man. A lot of people, a lot of people have the same question for me. The thing they most want to know is what's it really like? So that, here's my response. You keep on getting older, but you never die. Here's Don Ralph with his song Soul Deliverer. The the this novel it's rich, rich with story, characters, the narrative's great, the language is great. It's just a wonderful, wonderful book. And the characters often have a great backstory that connects into sort of takes you from reality to fable to you know just a fantasy. And uh, I feel like a lot of families and people, like in my family, we have stories that I feel like are hypocritical, not quite as fantasy like it's in your book but you know like we had I have a uh, great grandfather my parents would always tell me your great grandfather had two sets of teeth right in a row one year and then right behind it another set and he could crack walnuts in his teeth so it just doesn't seem likely but that's what we were told <coughs> and then we had uh, two distant cousins Frank and Lou they would always tell me about Frank and Lou and uh, Frank and Lou both wanted to be firemen and they were in Queens and they said to meet this uh, requirement to be firemen, they had to hit a certain weight and a certain height. Well, Frank was heavy and he was the right height and he fit everything. But Lou, his younger brother, was slighter. He didn't have the right weight and he didn't have the right height. So he decided, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to eat bananas, bananas all the time up until the deadline when I have to get weighed and have my height done. So he ate bananas, ate bananas, ate bananas. And he finally weighed himself like the day before and he's the right weight. But he's still not the right height. He's, no matter what, he's not the right height. So he goes right before he goes in for this test to meet the height. He goes, oh, Lou, hit me over the head with this board. Just take this board and whack me over the head as hard as you can. So he whacks him over the head. He says, you'll understand later. And he gets a lump on his head. And he just makes the height requirement. That's so. <laughs> These are the kinds you want, the kinds of guys you want fighting fires. <laughs> I've got to deliver some souls today Pack them up and crate them away Out in the darkwood where the mines may spray A body or two that has gone astray
coffee. I'll order water for my lunch. You know, water stuff wonders for you. You never know. You never know you're 95, and yet you've tried to kill yourself a thousand times. I know sometimes it can suck to be alive. I know, I know my days are numbered from the grounds inside my cup. I think next time I'll skip the coffee. I'll stick with water for my soul, soul deliverer. Soul, soul song is titled Soul Deliverer. 
It's about the ever-smiling deathless man in the book who delivers souls after folks have died. I started to imagine what it would be like if this deathless guy worked in a modern-day UPS-style type of soul delivery operation. So I started there and then wove in the grandfather character who sits and dines with Deathless later in the book. So I have two strands wrapping around through my song of these two uh, threads. And my advice to all, based on the book, is to skip the coffee. Thank you for listening to the Bushwick Book Club podcast for The Tiger's Wife by Taya Obrett. You can find out more about any of the artists you've just heard by Googling the heck out of them or visiting our website and Bandcamp pages where all the songs are individually streamable. The podcast was produced by Lester Litt, recorded at Charlie Nealon Studio in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Find out more about what we're doing, what songs about books are doing at bushwickbookclub.com. Songs about books. And they're a little nerdy, but it's an active lifestyle.